3: Listening to Fox Sports Radio. What's happening? Welcome in, Jason Martin Show. Fox Sports Radio with you for the next three hours, along with Bo Benson, Chris Perfett, and Brian Finley. Hope you're well. We're almost to July. Literally, we're past halfway through 2021. It is rolling. Speaking of rolling, Discover's rolling. Discover matches all the cashback you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. That's amazing because Discover's accepted at ninety nine percent of places in the US to take credit cards. Learn more. Discover.com slash yes, twenty twenty-one Nilson report. Limitations apply. Well, we do have to talk about that basketball game, don't we? There was a basketball game that was played last night. I think that the Suns and Clippers shooting percentage was indicated they thought that they were in the US Open, but that was last week, fellas. John Rom won that thing. Like we're going for high points here. We're not going for the low scores. It was ugly. You would say, oh, well, it was a defensive battle. No, it was just crap shooting. How bad? 36% for Phoenix. 31 of 86 from the floor. 32.5% for the Clippers. 27 for 83. The Clippers shot a gaudy 5 for 31 from 3. 16.1%. And the Suns... A blistering, scorching, pun intended, 4 of 20, 20%. That's the kind of NBA game I'm, I'm here for. 84 to 80 in the Western Conference Finals. This was not one that we're going to write home about, folks. And you're going to get games like this. The Suns are now one win away from the NBA Finals. I don't know what the odds were before the season, but here we are. Devin Booker leads the way, 25 points, Ayton with 19, Chris Paul with 18. Nobody shot well, as we just mentioned. Aiton did have 22 rebounds in this game. 19 points, but 22 rebounds for DeAndre Ayton, who has officially arrived. It's not like he wasn't playing well during the regular season, But over this postseason, you're like, oh yeah, he was the number one pick, right? Now in that draft, would you have taken him number one, looking at the other two guys, probably that are now being talked about the most, the three pick Doncic and the five pick Trey Young, who were swapped for each other when Dallas and Atlanta made those moves? Probably not. I think if you're redrafting right now, based on what you're seeing, I I, Luca versus Trey, you take your pick. Trey Young has this villain quality that I want to talk about more a little bit later on in this morning's program. Doncic is a jack-of-all-trades kind of player in his own right. He has a little, bit of, a little bit of nasty. He's not the gentleman that Dirk Nowitzki was, at least at times. And Aiton is starting to show what you thought he was going to show and what you saw in his one season at Arizona. But as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Chris Paul is the MVP. And I do want to break here because... Not not break for a commercial. That would be a little early. We don't have to have a take. In this industry, I mean. My colleagues, my peers. We don't have to have a blistering opinion about everything. When events happen, sometimes they just happen. Sometimes the refs didn't screw you. Sometimes you just lost, or sometimes you just won, and yet you can point to performances and things like that, but when the Clippers won Game 3, there were national radio hosts because I saw their takes popping up As I get a, a pretty... A pretty good kind of smorgasbord of this kind of stuff sent to me to let me know, you know, what else is happening in the sports landscape. What are people talking about all this? And one of the takes was, does Chris Paul actually make the Suns better because he came back and they lost? You don't have to have a take. I promise you, we're going to be okay. Your your career is going to be okay if you don't do that, because that made no sense at the time. It makes no sense now. He missed a few games. They lost game three. The Clippers have won every game three, I think, this postseason after falling behind in virtually every series as well. This wasn't a great game for Chris Paul either. It was 6 of 22 from the field. It was a seven-assist game. I mean, this isn't one that's going on his wall. This is the deer. If he was a hunter, this isn't the deer that he's actually going to mount. This is just one that he shot. They got the victory. And the Suns had fifty one, I mean had fifty one ones wins in the regular season, and I don't think anyone took them seriously coming into the postseason. And here we stand, and all it's taken is injuries all over the place, and somehow, one of the healthier teams out there is the Suns outside of Chris Paul with his protocol situation with COVID. And as for the Clippers, they needed this series to go deep in order to potentially get Kawhi Leonard back. I think what we're hearing, what we were hearing is if they can get it to game six or game seven, maybe he comes back. But I don't think they're going to do that, do you? At 3 1, Paul George blows kisses to the crowd, goes 5 of 20 from the field. He's 1 of 9 from three. The only thing he did fairly well in that game last night was shoot 12 of 18 from the stripe. He had 16 rebounds. Okay, we'll throw that one in there as well. You realize he had no offensive rebounds in the game? He had 16 defensive rebounds in the game. Even even more kind of preposterous. The Clippers had 15 offensive rebounds combined in this game. A game in which they shot 27 for 83 from the field. Let me tell you how you get beat. You shoot 32% from the field and only get 15 offensive rebounds. That's probably going to do it every time. Zubach had 7, Beverly had 3, and then off the bench Batum had 1, Mann had 2, Kennard had 2. And that was it. I mean, that was a total wrap right there. Paul George, none. He had 16 on the defensive end because luckily for them, this score, look, the Clippers had an opportunity and couldn't make a bucket to save their lives in the last eight or nine minutes of this game. But the Suns in this game only had 17 offensive rebounds. So these were teams that weren't shooting well, and these were one and done opportunities all night long. And that's a recipe for 84 to 80. The Suns are going to win this series. Kawhi, do you do you think maybe somehow he's going to try and pull James Harden and go out there and play even if, he, even if he's not ready? I sort of doubt it with him. Honestly, I think this is probably it. Clippers hadn't made the Western Finals in a while. Apparently that's going to be the only banner that they hold up this year because Phoenix is going to the NBA Finals. Chris Paul is going to the NBA Finals. Something I wasn't sure was going to happen when he got to Oklahoma City. It was just like, his career's kind of... We've sort of reached the end game here. We've sort of reached the apex a few years ago, and now we're on the the downward trajectory. If he wasn't going to get there in Houston, who is he going to carry to the NBA Finals? Well, it's not even that he's had to carry these guys. He's just had to help unlock their potential. And everybody's gotten better around him. Booker is flourishing. Aiton has become Aiton, as we led off with, and now Phoenix is one win away from the Western Conference Finals, and the Clippers, with all the pizzazz, because of injury, really, because if Kawhi's playing, maybe we have a different series. We probably do, because I still believe that, however you want to slot it, Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard are 1A and 1B in the NBA for me right now. A little younger than LeBron, a little less, you know, miles in the tank, and then you can throw the Stephs and all that in there. It's not like I'm going to turn down LeBron James being the, being the the guy on my team either. I just think in terms of overall basketball at this point in time, I would rather have Kevin Durant and Kawhi because of well what Kawhi can do on a two way and what we saw Kevin Durant do even in a loss in seven games. Now I don't want Kevin Durant on Twitter. If I'm an organization, watching it from afar, you kind of you're just basically the embodiment of the Michael Jackson popcorn gif. You're just kind of sitting back and seeing how many scalps he feels like taking on social media this week. But Phoenix, what they've done, what they're on the cusp of doing, is pretty daggone impressive. It's unfortunate. I heard Bernie Frado say this toward the end of his fine program straight out of Vegas that airs before us. This playoffs has been fun because we've gotten exactly what I hoped we would, which is some new blood to help the long-term health of the NBA. But the health, which is the word I just used, has not been there. This hasn't been the little guy beating up the big guy at full strength. And that's unfortunate. I don't think that, I do think there will be some that will place an asterisk by whoever wins this championship. I won't because it's still hard to win no matter what. But it's definitely been a bit of a crapshoot when it comes to trying to determine who was going to get through this thing, whether it was an ankle for Donovan Mitchell or all the problems that were happening in the East or certainly the lack of Anthony Davis for the Lakers and Jamal Murray going down a month and a half ago or so for Denver and really as good as they were, they needed everybody to be there in order to be the team that could actually get through this thing. You just saw guys are dropping like flies left and right, and it's unfortunate for the NBA only because their postseason had an opportunity coming out of the pandemic to really be special in terms of all these fans being there to see the superstars. And then the superstars, had, had the new blood still gotten through, I think we would have appreciated this more. The good news, at least I'm hoping, is that the NBA Finals should still be great. And this is the kind of thing that we need. But when you look at weird champions, there's going to be one this year. Like if Milwaukee wins, that's not super weird. But if Atlanta or Phoenix win, that's going to be one of the strangest results any NBA in a long time. And if we end up with Phoenix versus Atlanta, that's going to be one of the more improbable matchups ever in the history of the NBA to make it to the finals based on where you would have assumed those two teams would be before the season was played. Now Atlanta has a lot of work to be done and Giannis and Middleton and the Bucks let them know in game two that it was not going to be an easy series for them because that was a throttling to say the least. But Atlanta's kind of... They've gone up and down. And Trey Young, he's just as likely to go out and have 45 tomorrow or 45 today and win that game as he is to be shut down again. They bullied him a little bit. They big-timed him a little bit. But if we get Atlanta-Phoenix, I'm trying to think of something more improbable than that in the NBA Finals in a very long time. Like... I'm going to have to try and figure it out during the break, but I I honestly can't think of what it is right now. And I think that's a good thing, even if people don't watch it this year, because at least it gives those groups and gives the league as a whole some kind of a different narrative other than, well, it's the same old, same old every year, just like college football. If we can get something else, I do think that's going to be a positive. Now, what I need is something else other than whatever the hell that basketball game was last night, because that was not particularly entertaining. At least it was close, but not a whole lot of highlights coming out of that. Boogie Cousins may be one of the more interesting points about that. We will actually go down that road and talk a little bit more about him when we come back, but a lot to get to today on this program. One really interesting kind of thought experiment that we're gonna do in the second hour but I want you to get set for it right now and you can tweet me about this over the next hour and a half or so at jmart radio a 20-year test Andy Staples of the athletic who uh, I chat with on a pretty regular basis on my daily show in Nashville he was asked in a mailbag if your team had the opportunity in college football over the next 20 years, to be guaranteed one championship, but outside of that, you knew you would not win another one. You could win one in 20 years, and outside of that, it would be a pretty mediocre deal for you. Or, you turn that down, and you go behind door number two, which is, you take your chances, but you can do whatever you want for that entire 20 years. Like You you don't know the results at all, but you're taking your chances on your team. I want to do a little bit of a thought experiment expand it past just college football and just think, how many teams should take the championship that's guaranteed as opposed to trying to fight it out over a 20-year span. I think it sounds easier than it actually is and the list of teams that should take the championship might be even larger than you're thinking right now. So I think that will be fascinating. But yeah, when we come back, Cousins, the intentional free throw miss... Did he know the rule? And a little bit more on that game last night before we talk about things that are happier. We'll be right back. I'm Jason Martin, and this is Fox Sports Radio. Fox
0: Sports Radio has
4: the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
3: Welcome back. I'm Jason Martin. This is Fox Sports Radio. Happens to be my show, Jason Martin Show. I call it our show, though. No, we got Bo Benson. We got Chris Perfett. We got Brian Finley. We got all of you out there on Radio Land. We appreciate it. I'm on Twitter at Jmart Radio. DeMarcus Cousins. Last last week, I mm, I spent a lot of time speaking about bullsh- I I'm sorry, Brooke Lopez and the inbounds play at the end of regulation for milwaukee not knowing time and rules it seemed like i mean i know he knows there's a shot clock but he was unaware that there were two seconds left and apparently his teammates assumed that he was but didn't make it clear in the timeout right before that they called a timeout for that inbound it was one of the worst inbounds i've ever seen and i was talking about you know who does that fall on i mean the coach uh, he exists, he's got to save the player from himself. There's got to be some layer of protection from the player's own inadequacy. Well, enter DeMarcus Cousins, who says, hold my beer. End of the game. Clippers need him to miss the second free throw. And I actually just retweeted one version of this video. Uh, at JMR Radio, it's eighty-one seventy-nine, five point eight seconds left. He's got to miss the second one to get the rebound, and he throws this thing off the rim hard enough that it should have been Shaquille O'Neal in an All-Star game looking for the dunk on the follow-up. Like it was clearly designed for him to get it back two steps in front of the free throw line. Problem is, if it doesn't hit the rim, that's a violation. When I, I did not see this game live. So when I first heard about this, I thought, okay, well, we see this a lot where you miss the rim because it is a hard thing to do to intentionally miss that close or get it where you need it to go. A lot of times when you try to miss it, you make it. like you don't necessarily miss the rim, but you you end up making it because you're just not used to trying to miss. But DeMarcus cousins may as well have baseballed this thing. Because it may have actually been above the square. It was. It was above the square. It was in space between the top of the square and the top of the backboard. At, like, ludicrous speed. Let's take a Spaceballs reference. If I'm going to crush Brooke Lopez last week, I'm going to crush DeMarcus Cousins here, and I'm going to crush anybody that didn't tell DeMarcus Cousins what was up. If you tell them to miss the second one, you got to remind them to hit the rim. You can't assume that guys in the throes of you know final second level pressure in a conference finals in the NBA are aware of the situation. We all remember J.R. Smith in Game 1 against Golden State years ago with Cleveland and the, the famous gif of LeBron James putting out the hands like, how could you do that? And people have made boneheaded plays throughout the history of time. And there have been unfortunate things that happened. But how many of those things could have been stopped, could have been altered, if there was just better communication? How many television series would have had three episodes and not four seasons or 12 seasons in the case, if they all just talked to one another? I remember... You know, reviewing a whole lot of shows through the years. I remember reviewing Scandal, and I'm like, Scandal wouldn't even be a show if people just talked. Frasier is the king of miscommunication. It's things happening where all the characters aren't aware of what you are as the viewer, and it causes calamity. Then the same people that created Frasier went on to create Modern Family, which is exactly the same premise. Everything is built around misunderstandings. People being able to take things out of context or only getting partial stories and then all of that happening. And there've been, there's been treachery in all these series forever because of incomplete information. You kind of want to go through the screen because you're smarter than they are because you've seen it from all the angles that the director or the showrunner wants you to see it from and just say, hey, he's not trying to betray you here. Don't send a hitman to kill his family but we all know that's what's going to happen and that's why we watch in many cases this what this was this was an episode of Frazier taking place in in a Western Conference Finals game it's miscommunication it's incomplete information DeMarcus Cousins didn't know the rule there's no way you can convince me he did Because if he could have missed this worse, he would have had to throw it completely over the backboard. There's no way that he was attempting in any way to hit the rim. So with the violation, that's a wrap. Chris Paul, the one thing he did do well last night was shoot free throws late, clutch free throws, they get the win eighty four to eighty. Let us bring in the crew out in Los Angeles. Bo Benson, you you alerted me to this. I knew about it, but you alerted me to, did he know the rule? And I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna watch this again. And so I go to watch this for the first time, and I look at the the actual highlight. and it was ten times worse than you described it, and about twenty times worse than I had seen in print earlier in the evening. No possible way he knew the rule, right?
6: No, I I I can't imagine it. I watching it live, it was weird because you couldn't really see what was going on, and then you had to watch replays and everything to really get the full picture. So there I yeah, there's no way he he rocketed that thing off the backboard and I I just It's kind brain, of hilarious to watch. He had a, he had a brain fart,
3: man. I don't know if he had a brain fart because if he didn't know the rule, it's not a brain fart. It's just not knowing the rule. Yeah, that uh, that's a tough scene for boogie there yeah not no good Chris any any chance that uh he just missed it I'm putting that in air quotes
7: no none whatsoever <laughs> this is a guy who by the way he's been getting uh didn't he get assessed a technical foul a few days ago shoving yes. uh, Devin Booker like yes he's he, he, his head is in a really weird place this series and I just just watching this particular thing like you you I feel like it's a basic thing you should know in the league, but clearly he doesn't know what the rule is. I, I there's no other explanation for it. Like it what, either, what other explanation yeah. can we even? Because that's the thing is like if you, if there's another explanation for it, you need something plausible. So what's the alternative? And I don't know what the alternative is besides, as you said, maybe brain fart. But that's not that's not good enough for me.
3: No, it's not. And the only other thing he could have been doing is he's a member of the NWO to give you a pro wrestling <laughs> reference from 96, and he's going to rip that Clippers jersey off, and he's got a Suns jersey on underneath it. Like, that's the only other explanation is he knew the rule and screwed them anyway. It was either an episode of Frazier or an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Whichever one of those two pieces of music that you want underneath it, you could play either one. You could even play the Benny Hill music, but I'm telling you, this felt like incomplete information to me. This felt like Boogie Cousins was unaware of something that the viewer knew. Because I would say at least three-quarters of the people watching that game knew that it had hit the rim. Yeah. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if Cousins didn't, Bo.
6: Yeah, I I think that this one was Frazier. Uh simply yes, because, I agree. Simply because this series already had its Curb Your Enthusiasm moment when uh, <laughs> Patrick Beverly decided to wave goodbye to all the fans in Phoenix before the Fair game point. was over. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> Uh, Maybe we'll get a Seinfeld moment in Game 5. I'm not sure.
3: Yeah. All right. Let's bring in Finley. Resident Clippers fan, Brian Finley. Uh, Defend that debacle of a a second half in particular, Brian.
8: Oh, it was absolutely atrocious. May I add that when I was watching that game and I saw Cousins attempt that – foul shot it was so careless it reminded me of somebody who was trying to get one last shot in at a pop a shot in one of those arcade games where you're trying to throw it up from your chest and get like 30 in in 30 seconds Mm -hmm. that was sort of his motion it reminded me of that and just how quickly he released it as far as the second half Absolutely disgusting. I felt like the second half was drunk. And I said this in a little blurb that I put out there. I would have rather watched 10 hours of a documentary of Ken I Burns saw that. talking about pottery in the 17th century than putting myself through that second half again. Because Jason, I said to myself, if Paul George misses the free throw And he did. If he made it, it would have been 71-71 early early fourth quarter. If he makes that, then it's a whole different story. But I thought if he didn't, that there was no way the Clippers would eclipse that one-point deficit, even early in the fourth quarter. They never did. It just felt like they were okay with it being, well, as long as we're close. That seemingly felt like the attitude for the Clippers out there. They didn't really Mm -hmm. have an interest in winning.
3: Yeah, well, tell us what else is happening. We'll keep you on here. Just tell tell us what else. Tell me something better than eighty-four <laughs> to eighty in a Western Conference Finals game.
8: Yeah, this was not the new school scoring one forty to one thirty a final. But yeah, with that win for Phoenix, they take a three games to one lead in the Western Conference Finals. DeAndre Ayton, marvelous, nineteen points, twenty two rebounds, and four blocks. Let's pivot over to baseball. Kurt Casali hits a walk-off base knock in the bottom of the 10th to send the Giants to a 6-5 win over the Athletics. Casali had been 0-4 on the night with four strikeouts heading into that at-bat. The Diamondbacks discard a 24-game road losing streak by stamping the Padres 10-1 San Diego. For them, that ends an eight-game winning streak. The Red Sox club the Yankees 4-2 as the Yanks slump to 0-5 versus Boston this season. Cody Bellinger swats a walk-off home run to lift the Dodgers over the Cubs 3-2. The Mets scooch past the Phillies 4-3. Jacob DeGrom, a no decision. Six innings, two hits, two earned runs, five strikeouts for him. And finally, Bubba Watson and Kramer Hickok are atop the leaderboard at 10 under overall heading into Sunday's final round of the PGA Tours Travelers Championship. Hickok three putted on 18 from eight feet to surrender the sole lead. I know one thing about Jason. He's working on his golf game and never would he allow himself to three putt inside eight feet. He would be not doing such a thing as I send it back to J. Mark.
3: Also wouldn't do what Bryson DeChambeau did on the back nine last week at the US Open. So yeah, so let's just yeah, that wasn't good at all. I wouldn't have done that because I wouldn't have been on that course, but uh that was kind of a that was a bit of a collapse in its own right. But in my golf lesson on Thursday, for some reason I decided after the hour, yeah, I'm gonna hit a bucket of balls also in this hundred degree weather. <laughs> and like twelve balls in, I couldn't keep my offhand on the club, on the back. So I like, I like forgot how to swing a golf club entirely. So I think we've come back from wherever I was to square one. Like now I don't know that I can actually swing the club anymore.
8: Jason, would you be from that scene in Tin cup where he's at the driving range and he's sitting like those warm burners from the range and everybody's looking, all the pros are looking over their shoulder. Like who is this guy in the tournament shanking every shot?
3: Yes, <laughs> that's 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 how I felt Thursday in the that's in the right, second yeah. hour. I should have left after the first hour. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go hit a bucket of balls. I feel real good. I got to the end of that thing. I'm like, I should quit. I should sell my golf clubs and never step on the course again because I got cocky. All of a sudden, I was pitching pretty effectively. I was good from about 70 yards out. And then all of a sudden, the golf club's like, hey, by the way, you're, you're going to forget how to actually keep the right hand on the club, on the backswing. It's going to be hanging down. You're going to swing with one hand, and then you're going to wonder why you even exist at all. <laughs> golf is a stupid, stupid, stupid game. But even that was more interesting than the Clippers' 32.5%, the Suns' 36% from the field, 16.1% and 20% respectively from three. Tyron Luce said, we had, I think, 12 possessions in the fourth quarter to take the lead, and we just couldn't, couldn't get over the hump. I mean, it happens. Yeah, it happens in the same way that that slogan that Forrest Gump potentially invented, that's, that's what happened. Uh, we can't say that on terrestrial radio, but yes, it happens. This is from azcentral.com. Then there was a stretch in the fourth quarter when the two teams combined to miss 16 shots from the field that began with 10-13 left in the game and ended with an 8 dunk with 6-23 remaining. And look, I like DeAndre Ayton, but he says, quote, I was like, this is finals basketball right here. This is really what it is. Like, it's a good shot, but your legs ain't there. It looked good, but it ain't, and you just got to stick with it. Keep doing what you do and don't really react on things like that. Look, the stuff at the end, sure, gotcha. This is finals basketball? What would you know, DeAndre, of finals basketball? What would virtually anybody on that floor playing for either one of those two teams know about playing In the NBA finals or even in the conference finals. This is finals basketball right here. First off, it's conference finals basketball. Second off, no, it isn't because I've seen NBA finals game sevens that have been absolute barn burners. We're talking about game four of the Western Conference finals where you guys in Phoenix have had short series. You're not playing a bunch of game sevens during this postseason. And you're saying your legs ain't there. Now that could be true, but I, I don't know that you're I don't know that you're the expert that we need to describe what finals basketball is. And if that's finals basketball, then that should be final basketball. Like we need to go ahead and cancel the sport. It's been a good run. Larry, Magic, Michael, even further back, Wilt. Timmy D and the boys with the with the Spurs, Shaq and Kobe, Penny, Steph, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Dirk, KD, Kawhi. It's been a heck of a run, but it might be time to shut this thing down. If that's finals basketball, that should be final basketball. I was like, this is finals basketball right here. This is really what it is. Like, it's a good shot, but your legs ain't there. 12 possessions straight in the fourth quarter to take the lead, and the Clippers could not do it. That's how bad the shooting was. I don't think that I can add 83 and 86 live on the air while I'm trying to talk. Yes, I can. It's 169. That right there is skill. And then 27-31, so that would be 58? Yes, okay. 58 of 169. That was the combined shooting from the field last night between two NBA teams in a conference finals game. Again, I say to DeAndre Ayton, no, this is not finals basketball right here. I hope you play in a lot of them. I hope we get to watch your... I mean, I'd never want to see anybody fail. I like what he's blossoming into. And he had a nice game. When you look at the rebounds in particular. 22 in a game, but... No, 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 no. I pray that's not Finals basketball. In fact, I pray that we never see anything like that again. Because it felt like the Billy Madison answer. Where may God have mercy on all of our souls... I award you no points. That's what it felt like, witnessing that. At least it did not take as long as Game 2. Ethan Strauss wrote a really interesting piece for The Athletic. And real fast, before we get to the break, the last 90 seconds of Game 2 of Clippers' Suns took 33 minutes in real time. The last 9.2 seconds took 20 minutes in real time. 9.2 seconds, and all you can remember is that dunk from Aiden, which was a fantastic play, one we're probably not likely to forget because the inbound, the perfect pass, everything is set up, the screen. But the article's all about how you're not going to see this change because television measurements actually favor this stuff, this boring, he calls it boring and disjointed because it's done on a per minute average you're getting the most viewers in the fourth quarter they're sticking around so if you extend the end of a game it can help boost the average rating number by holding frame as Strauss writes the moment of peak viewership and drawing it out so these things that seem incessantly long and that that was just it's just like good lord enough with this get to the finish line it took forever at least that didn't happen quite as badly last night but that's the only thing that i can say about last night that eclipsed anything that we've seen in any other postseason game this year and maybe the last handful of years that thing was jags bills remember jags bills in the playoffs in that wild card game a few years ago that's what this was this was bortles versus tyrod taylor on an nba floor we'll be right back i'm jason martin and this is fox sports radio welcome back i'm jason martin this is the jason martin show here on fox sports radio i'm live in the fox sports radio studios here in nashville tennessee the crew is in la so paul george has said hey if Kawhi's not feeling it i don't want to see him try to force himself back and put his health at risk for game five if he can't go then i i want to see him stay out that's a smart thing for paul george to say i don't know that he thought it through this way or if it's just his natural reaction to it but this is the right thing because if you say boy I really hope he can come back for game 5 then that's putting onus and pressure on Kawhi Leonard or it's it's kind of putting a spotlight on him I would say but when you say I don't want him to come back if he's not 100% I absolutely don't want him to try that means if he does then you have the built-in boy what a superhuman he was for coming back Meaning that's what Paul George can say. And if he doesn't come back, it's like, look, he he wanted to so badly, but he just couldn't. And I'm glad that he didn't. We're going to go get this thing next year. That's a smart thing that Paul George said. Smarter than this. Quote, it's on to the next one. As a veteran, you just learn not to let games linger. I've done a good job of doing that. I still live a wonderful life and have an amazing family. I'm on top of the world regardless of the outcome, unquote. Congratulations. Cool. Larger context, that's great. You're right. You probably do live a good life and I'm very happy that you have an amazing family but this right here ain't gonna win any fan support if that's what you were going for and maybe you weren't but Paul George who is a great basketball player even though he was on my overrated my six most overrated persons in sports list three years ago and five of the six of those have definitely proven out to be true this kind of thing why would you say something like this I'm not going to let it linger yeah I know we lost I know it was a putrid performance I know we shot 32.5% from the field and 16% from three and I was one of nine from distance and pretty much the only thing I did well was shoot free throws because I shot about a trillion of them um but I have a great family and I have a wonderful life and even if we lose I'm on top of the world regardless of the outcome. You're a pro athlete, man. You can say whatever you want about your family and you know you can lose the series and say I'm going to go home to my wife and my child and you know whatever it is. But to say that right now while your team is still fighting and you've played really hard Paul and there was sympathy generated because you haven't had Kawhi and because that wasn't you know this this team is not fully formed without its alpha you're not the alpha Paul but you were brought in to be another player another superstar on that team the number two no one really can blame what's happening on you alone And it's not like you're not fighting hard. But, and I know my producer, Bo Benson, had said, he's like, look, every time he does something right, he also does something dumb. That's why I led this thing off by saying, here's what Paul George said about Kawhi Leonard coming back for game five. That is a sensible thing to say. That's a good performance from Paul George. And then this tweet, or this, this uh, well, I see it in a tweet, this quote after the game about not letting it linger, and I have a wonderful family, and I'm on top of the world regardless of the outcome, that's the equivalent of blowing kisses to the crowd. Or saying you're, what is it, play off Paul. Play off Pete. Stop shooting yourself in the foot. It's never been a good strategy. If he just goes out in balls, it's no big deal. If they lose, it's just like, yeah, well, they didn't have Kawhi. Not like people are going to dog out Paul George at this point. But to say it's on to the next one as a veteran, you just learn not to let games linger. I've done a good job of doing that. I still live a wonderful life and have an amazing family. I'm on top of the world regardless of the outcome. You need to take that one way, way, way outside like a DeMarcus Cousins intentional miss. What's happening? Hour number two. I'm Jason Martin. This is Fox Sports Radio, Jason Martin Show on Twitter at jmartradio is where you can find me. You can find Fox Sports Radio at Fox Sports Radio. And I'm trying to intentionally miss and actually hit the rim, unlike Boogie Cousins. Unfortunate. Unfortunate. Quote, you hate to see it. Unquote. Which is often one of those tweets that just makes me roll my eyes. So Mike Florio, he makes me roll my eyes a lot of, a lot of times. But interesting idea that he posited on Pro Football Talk on Friday about Aaron Rodgers. And it was just something that because the NFL and the NFLPA and the protocols that were released and everything that was going on with COVID, and those came out earlier last week, rogers actually has a new option opt out for the season based on air quotes virus concerns unquote doesn't matter the specifics doesn't matter if he's high risk it doesn't matter nothing matters here he can opt out based on the rules if he opts out then he recovers 20 million dollars he doesn't lose out on all the money now he doesn't get a stipend that was revealed you know if you opt out you're not getting a stipend from the league but he's going to save himself about 20 million dollars so he could opt out and sit out for the year based on quote virus concerns unquote air quote that's a new one because what have we been talking about this whole time Either he's going to get out of Green Bay or he's going to sit at home, those being the theories other than, well, they'll work it out and he'll end up in a Packers uniform for the season. But he was going to lose a lot of money if he didn't play in Green Bay or didn't play somewhere else, if he just went home. And would he be willing to do that? Would he? All this kind of stuff. Well, now, if you take the money or a lot of the money out of it, then how do you feel about it? Aaron Rodgers, who is as spiteful as they come, and someone that has a very high opinion of himself or his abilities, he could now play a leverage game. Now, this has to be done by July the 2nd, and the key point about this is not only is it a a short timeline, but it's an irreversible decision. If he makes the decision to opt out, he cannot then say a month later, okay, actually, I do want to play. Let me back in. Can't do it. Once you opt out, you're done for the year. Which means they couldn't trade him in the midseason and all that kind of stuff, or he couldn't play if they, even if they did move him. He's He's on ice for a year at that point in time. But it's a card that's there for him to play. Even if he just wants to float it to see whether or not the Packers will fold their hand and move him because they have not talked to anybody. They are pretty resolute in trying to maintain him or certainly keep this fantasy alive as long as they can and hope that it turns back into reality for them. But Aaron Rodgers could, could merely threaten to opt out. And that would mean, look, he sits out for the year and you get squat for him. And you roll with Jordan Love, who, depending on what you read, is either very good or, boy, does he have a long way to go. Truth's probably somewhere in the middle. But we talk a lot in sports about timing. The Packers championship window, how long is it? How large is it? We don't know how long it is but we do know they have an opportunity to be the second best team in the NFC again at worst maybe third if you want to throw the rams in there we got to see what happens with stafford but they have a lot of talent on that team san francisco i still don't know about their quarterback spot at least not yet i think lance has the potential to be very good but i doubt that we'll see that right now jimmy g i think the the ceiling there is is high mediocre You can throw some other teams in that mix. But Green Bay has an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. They have the talent, with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, to win a Super Bowl. If you're Green Bay right now, would you call his bluff if he made this threat? He said, hey, either trade me to Denver or wherever, or I'm going to head to the house. I'm going to opt out due to the virus. Due to COVID, the The agreement backs me up. You'll save some money. That's the other thing on this for the Packers. All right, so Roger saves $20 million here. But over the cap has shown the Packers can gain somewhere around $30 million in cap space in 2021 if he opts out. And they get a little bit of relief, not much, but a little bit of relief on his cap hit in 2022. He has a week to make the decision. Once he makes it, he can't change it. The Packers have been calling his bluff now for a few months. Are they willing to do it again if it means that they end up that he ends up truly on ice for the year and they lose out this year? Because, again, if you have a window, it's got to be right now. Now, if you think he's not going to play for you, then you don't have a window. Because if you don't have Aaron Rodgers, screw your window, you might not even have a door. But all of a sudden, you've just got a brick wall, and you can't look through brick. The window exists because you have a top-flight quarterback that's coming off an MVP season. I know you have a lot of other talent, you think about Jones... Really talented back. Adams, maybe the best receiver in football, certainly one of the top three. Tanyan's an impressive young tight end. The Smith brothers, you've got a great cornerback. You've got a young defense, but a talented one. You've got one of the more dynamic play callers in the league in LeFleur. You've got everything that you need, but if you don't have Aaron Rodgers, I don't think you have much of anything. Because I, we the unknown of Jordan Love, even if he looks good in training camp, even if he looks good in practice, even if he looks good on paper, what's going to happen on a Sunday afternoon when he's playing in America's Game of the Week on Fox, 4.30 Eastern Time? We don't know. Your window exists because you have Aaron Rodgers. You have a championship roster surrounding an all-time great quarterback. And that roster is made stellar because of the quarterback's play and what he can do. So at that point in time, if you're Green Bay, do you cut this off right now and try to trade him so that you get value right now? Maybe if you send him to Denver, maybe you get Bradley Chubb. Maybe you get Jerry Judy. Maybe you get a couple of other pieces out of this draft picks for the future because if you don't have Aaron Rodgers then you're not you don't have a present in terms of winning a Super Bowl so you're building for the future so do you go ahead and get it while the value's high right now and not potentially allow Aaron Rodgers who is one of the only guys that you would think would really take advantage of this potential idea just to stick it to Green Bay a little bit more not forfeiting all of his money and all these things. At the same time, he's saying that he loves this quiet offseason that he's having off the grid and all this with smirking on his face and everything else that he's doing. The Packers calling his bluff, there's a risk involved. But if they do it and he actually pulls the trigger on it, then he just goes home for a year. Does he retire? Does he come back next year? Which is a storyline that we will hate probably more than we used to hate Ed Werder hanging out in Hattiesburg, Mississippi reporting on whether or not Brett Favre has cut his grass that morning. Rodgers, we talked about Green Bay's window just a couple of minutes ago and a championship window for a team. You never know how wide it is you can kind of feel when you have it, but it can end in a in a flash. Aaron Rodgers has a window as well and he knows it. He understands that father time is undefeated. He understands he's getting older. His body's taken a, a quite a beating through its career. How many more great years does he have to win a second Super Bowl which The vanity that seems to emanate from Aaron Rodgers would tell you, yeah, he probably cares about winning that second Super Bowl so that he can be on a list of different quarterbacks than the Drew Brees and Russell Wilsons right now of the world that only have one. Now, Russell played in two. Brees only played in one, and right now Rodgers has only played in one. Does he have a better chance to play in a second one in the future somewhere else? Or in Green Bay this year? The answer is in Green Bay this year. Now, Denver has a stacked roster. If he goes to Denver, he's in a pretty good scenario. But how much of that roster has to go to Green Bay in order for them to actually entertain the move? That's what's fascinating about this whole thing. Like Nothing new has happened other than he now has another option, which is basically a nuclear option. I'll opt out. I'll save $20 million. You guys can save some cap money, but good luck doing anything with it because you can't get me in free agency with your $30 million in cap room or whatever it is that you save this year. Uh, you can't do anything with it in terms of replacing me. So you're rolling with Jordan Love and you're not getting anything from any other teams in the process. So it's like you either don't win a Super Bowl and don't get any assets or you don't win a Super Bowl, get assets and build for the future. Because I don't think either one of those things, if you trade Aaron Rodgers away, you're still going to have the same problem, but you might get assets back that set you up better for the future. This is fascinating. The Joker, Heath Ledger style in me that wants to watch the world burn wants wants, wants this to happen, wants Aaron Rodgers to actually pull this, because it becomes an unbelievable story a flashpoint moment where some fans are going to call him the most selfish person ever and some people are going to laugh their rear ends off at the same time depending on where they live and who they root for because i think a lot of packers fans will be incredibly sad and a lot of them have already turned on aaron Rodgers through this whole thing but just think about the delicious nature of that if that's actually what goes down If he says, uh, yeah, I'm worried about the virus, I'm going to opt out. Because of the agreement that we found out about a few days ago between the league and the union, he saves $20 million he would have lost, and then he goes and hosts Jeopardy for a year, or he goes and, I don't think he's going to get that gig anyway, but or he just goes home, or how about this? We know he's coming back, so he's not Tony Romo, but he goes and does TV for a year for a year. You don't think ESPN's gonna throw a ton of money at Aaron Rodgers to come do studio work or something? And maybe he doesn't do it. Maybe he just disappears and hangs out with his fiance and just has a blast. But imagine what he could do for a year away from the game after sticking it to an organization. That he feels either disrespected or just he's disrespecting in terms of, I don't really hold any respect for you. This is a really interesting next few days. Again, it's we're going to know by July the 2nd, because that's the deadline. And what makes it more interesting... Is that once he makes this decision, if you see this reported and it's it, it you know it's confirmed that he's opted out, then that's a wrap. There will be no Aaron Rodgers in 2021 on the field for the Green Bay Packers this season. Think about that. Like we thought, maybe he would sit home out of spite but did we think that he would opt out due to virus concerns to where he could not even come back in midseason? Like, he could could sit home out of spite and then in week eight say, all right, we've worked this out. I'm coming back. If Jordan Love struggles and they throw throw everything in the world at him, you know, who knows? Maybe he changes his mind. He hates the idea when he's actually watching the games, he realizes how badly he wants to be there and he wants to come back. Dude, if he does this, it doesn't matter how much he wants to come back. He waits until next year. Really interesting. And we have a week basically to figure it out whether he's going to do it. My prediction is he won't do it. But I could write a pretty interesting screenplay where he does. We'll be right back. I'm Jason Martin, and this is Fox Sports Radio.
4: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge.
5: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: Welcome back. I'm Jason Martin. This is Fox Sports Radio. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. Amazing. Discover's accepted 99% of places in the US to take credit cards. Learn more. Discover.com slash yes twenty twenty one Nielsen report. Limitations apply. A little lithium for you here on this Sunday morning. Which actually has Sunday morning in the uh, lyrics. Which just came to me as I said that. Next week it'll be July and we'll be doing this show already halfway through 2021 it is rolling no question about that so i I tease this at the top of the show and i definitely want to talk about it here i think it'll be kind of a roundtable discussion at least to some degree i want to bring in the crew and talk to them but andy staples who uh, writes for the athletic one of my favorites in the industry and luckily i get to chat with him on a fairly regular basis he does a mailbag piece of the athletics college football writer and someone there was a question posited 20 years you can have one of these two things one is you can win one championship outside of that you know you will not win another one it'll kind of just be mediocre for you but you're going to get one championship out of 20 years for your team and now this is a college football discussion but i want to expand it out further than that or you could win 20 championships but you don't know. You're you're guaranteed one. It's basically like you have Gray Sports Almanac from Back to the Future too. You've got the Sports Almanac and your team is definitely going to win a championship over the next two decades. One. Just one. Not two, not three, not four, but not zero either. Guaranteed one. Or you just take your chances and you could win as many as you win. Which one would you take? And Andy's response back was, well, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia, I think were the five he mentioned. He said those five should turn down the guaranteed championship because they could win more than one. He may have mentioned LSU as well. But outside of that, everybody else should take the deal and take the one. And I was thinking larger context outside of just college football. Your team, whatever the sport, whatever the team, you're guaranteed a championship over the next 20 years. How hard would it be to not just take that deal and know that, yeah, you're going to win the one, but the other 19 years aren't going to be all that much fun. It doesn't mean you're going to go 1-16 in the NFL or you're going to win 15 games in the NBA or something like that, but you're going to be middle of the road. But if you get a title, is that enough? I I live in the state of Tennessee where the namesake of the state, University of Tennessee, won a championship in 98, and they still talk about it right now and love it and love everybody on that team. They have not really come close since that time. And that's a lot longer now than 20 years. But you might be a fan of a franchise and you've never seen them win a championship. You've never seen them come close to winning a championship. In your case, I think it might be easier, but I think what we forget is, and we're seeing it right now because of injuries, because of all sorts of unforeseen things. I mean, does Golden State have an extra crown if Kevin Durant... And Klay Thompson don't go down with injuries a few years ago against Toronto. Maybe they do. There's so many things that are out of your control, including the performance of the other team. It's very difficult to win a championship in any sport. We could try and, and rate the hardest, but you think about how difficult it is to win any NBA you got to win four of seven. Usually the best team wins in a a best-of-seven series. But this year, people want to place an asterisk next to the champion in advance because of all of the guys that have gotten banged up and hurt during the playoffs and a lot of big-time teams, as a result, were broken in half and are out because of that. Are the Nets still playing if their big three is healthy? I have a hard time believing they're not. How far are the Lakers going if they have a healthy Anthony Davis to go with LeBron? I didn't have them. I didn't have him being out necessarily through the playoffs, but I didn't have them in my rankings, but I had the Jazz, and they're out. So, what do I know? But we're watching a postseason that is just, I think Frato said on Straight of Vegas earlier, it was attrition. And that's what it feels like. It's attrition. Just like in war, we're seeing guys drop. Just Guys are just Worn out. It was another long season. Even with low management, it wasn't enough. When you think about the NFL, there's now seven teams that get into the postseason. But virtually every year, there's a team that's pretty good that doesn't even make it into the playoffs. NCAA, you get a chance. 68 teams is a whole lot. College football trying to move to 12 teams is to create a scenario where it actually feels like you can make it. And I think it's also sidelined to create a scenario that helps coaches keep their jobs because making a bowl doesn't mean anything anymore. But if you make the college football playoff, the 12-team playoff, two or three times in a decade span, even if you don't do anything in it, it's still going to feel like an accomplishment because it's still a rarity. 12 is not a large number compared to how many Football programs exist just in the Power Five, much less across the nation. Hockey, you're seeing that right now. Top seeds ain't playing. Baseball, you play forever just to make one of the very select spots in their postseason. And then again, you're playing a ton of games and you end up with best of seven series And those things turn out to just be absolute wars. So I think that's what makes this interesting is it reminds us, whether you answer, I'd take the championship, or you answer, I'll take my chances for 20 years to see how many we can win. I think it basically just puts a huge, it puts a spotlight on the idea of winning in sports. And I think sometimes we just, because there's a champion every year, it's easy to kind of throw these things by the wayside and forget about them. But then you think about a fan base that hasn't seen a title in three decades, or you've never seen your team win, and now you're in your 50s, and you're just wondering, am I going to get one? during my time here and i do think that i think that the team i think that what we underrate is how many people would say oh just give me the championship if i get one guaranteed championship over the next 20 years that's enough for me i get to buy the hat i get to buy the shirt i get to watch that i get to have that experience i get to celebrate i get to maybe go downtown and party if you're in the right city All of these things that I've seen on TV with all these teams winning for such a long time, it can finally happen to me? Yeah, sign me up for that. One time? Cool. We go 500 the other 19 seasons, but I guarantee a championship in one, I'll take that all day long. Like Chris, for instance. If I said the Lions could win one over the next 20 years, you'd take that all day, right? To this answer of
7: either one, I would say yes. Like I would just say... I'm a beggar, not a chooser here. Whichever one comes up first, great. I I mean, I'm also a Pistons fan, and I also understand that once you stop winning, it kind of sucks just because, I don't know, I'm a creature of, of recency. And as much as there were people talking about the storied history of the Pistons when they got the first overall draft pick this week, I also realized that I was back in high school mm. when they last won. It it's got rust on it. It's like when I hear Bears fans talk about the one they won in '85. It's it's got rust. It's old. It doesn't mean anything when it's more than like ten years old. And you just eventually you you can't produce specials and documentaries for this long. It just they're, it's it's gone. But at the same time, for the Lions, yes, absolutely. I I don't care what it would do. I don't care how many it would be. I would like to see the dynasty. Me and Bo were just sitting here talking about how skewed the Patriots have made our perception of pretty much everything in sports that we think, especially in the NFL, that it's easy. And I I get it because there's a lot of older guys in sports media who grew up with the Yankees as like, yeah, the Yankees are there every year. It's just what they do. They're always going to be there. And we kind of had that with the Patriots when, yeah, as you say, like it's not... For, for a lot of teams, you're going to just see different teams every year. It's really hard to repeat, and it's really hard to do back-to-back Super Bowls, too. And yeah, for the Lions, it's like, do I need to go back through the record books? No I, no, I absolutely do not. So the answer is yes. You you give me uncertainty, you might win some stuff in 20 years, the answer is yes. You give me certainty one, the answer is yes. It's just, it's yes. It's yes. Whichever one comes first, Yes.
3: Bo, I'll give you a third option because I agree with a lot of what Chris just said. You can win one championship and then the other 19, you're a 500 team or you're just kind of uninteresting. Or you take your chances for 20 years, you see how many you could potentially win, and you don't know what the records are going to be. You might have some up years, some down years, all this kind of stuff. Third option would be you're not going to win a championship, but I guarantee you're going to win double-digit games in the NFL. Or you're going to be one of those teams. You're not even going to be a wild card team. You're going to win the division. You're going to be a 12 and four team a good bit. Like you're going to be one of the best teams, but you're not going to win a championship. Which one of those three options then would you take?
6: Oh, that third option is that's terrible. That's purgatory, and you you, you never want to be there. Um, as someone who lived through the uh, you know, it, your your team's going to be really good for for 20 years, however long it is, but you you don't know if you're going to win one and then finally got to see them win one. Um, I'll, I'll take the guaranteed championship any day of the week. Like that's what these guys are doing. Like that's, that's what they're out there to do. They're there to win, win a title. Um, and so, yeah, like give me, give me the guarantee you, I like think of all the, the generations of Cubs fans that, you know, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, daughters, Everybody that waited and waited a hundred and what you know one hundred and ten years mm-hmm. for the Cubs to finally win one, uh, think of how many of those generations passed on without actually seeing that happen. Um, and if you could tell them like, "Hey, you know, I-, I guarantee you the Cubs will finally break through and win one, but they're going to be bad for you know nineteen years outside of that," I think everyone would say yes before you could finish your uh, finish your question there. No matter would what you, you
7: have to do with it, you have to start with one either way. Like yeah,
3: yeah. would you change your opinion if I said that the championship would come in the twentieth year?
6: You so you you got to wait nineteen years. of Yes. Oh,
7: answer for me is still yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
3: yeah. spoken like a one hundred percent Lions fan right there.
6: Uh, yeah, for for me, like strictly speaking, like for the Dodgers, like. I mean, I, 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 I did wait 31 years, 32 yeah, years, right. whatever, it, whatever it was. I mean, I was conscious about sports for maybe 21 of those. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't trade last year
3: for anything in the world. Like, here's the perfect example. Would you rather be the Buffalo Bills or the Florida Marlins? Or now, I that's, guess, Miami mean yeah, now,
7: now we're throwing something in there because, it's like, you're going to win one and then your team's going to be ripped away from Gutted, it. yes. You're just gutted multiple yes. times, yeah.
3: Like those are extremes, but I mean Buffalo's also I think the team that suffered that's the most another
7: heartbreak. too, yeah.
3: Cuz they were so good, but they lost four Super Bowls and they lost one on the the Norwood play and then now they they now they're close again, but they happen to be playing in Patrick Mahomes' era in his conference, so it's all just it's a mess. Another guy that cheers for teams that don't win is Brian
8: Finley. We'll
3: bring him into the discussion now. Finley, which one of these options would you take?
8: Oh, you know the answer to that, Jason. I would take one title in 20 years because the teams that I root for have never won a title. Padres, Clippers. Padres, Clippers, kind of the Chargers, although being that I am from San Diego and seeing how they hightailed it out of... SD and made their way to LA yeah kind of sort of follow them but even if you include them in the conversation I don't know if it's my love of an underdog or it's the fact that I I guess enjoy uh, pleasure from pain because I have watched heartbreak after heartbreak All those years with Ladanian Tomlinson and Phillip Rivers and Antonio Gates and all the expectations and hype, and they never won the big game. And the Padres, I go back to 1998, they had a chance against the Yankees in the World Series. That did not go our way. And the Clippers, well, you know their history. So why do I do this to myself, Jason? that, That is a question that I'm still sort of pontificating in my mind. Well, maybe you shouldn't watch sports, but the good news
3: is you do, so you can tell us what's trending. What's happening, bud?
8: Yeah, so the Clippers lost, and the Suns trek past the Clip Show 84-80 with a second half polluted with poor shooting to take a 3-1 lead in the Western Conference Finals. Devin Booker, nursing a facial injury, took off the mask mid-game as it appeared to bother him. He put up 25 points, 9 of 11 from the free throw line. DeAndre Ayton marveling with 19 points, 22 rebounds four blocks the Clippers never got any closer than the one point deficit that seemingly was there and they could never rise above that in the fourth quarter and a trigger happy Paul George shot five of 20 from the floor 16 rebounds but missed six free throws and many of them coming at pivotal points in the game afterwards Reggie Jackson making the case for why he hasn't lost faith in his team's chances.
2: Definitely more in the tank. We know we're focused on getting one more game. Um, we got to go in there into a hostile environment, but the most important thing is uh, figure out how we can be better from this game. I feel like we played well defensively. Uh, i got to play better offensively. we, uh, we got to move the ball, find some easy shots. And uh, the easy ones that we did have tonight, we felt like we'll go in the next game. So, unfortunate break, but uh, you know, we're ready for the challenge.
8: And that challenge will come on Monday for Game 5. Desperation for the Clippers. As Jason, you pointed this out earlier in the show, that in the fourth quarter, the Clippers went 0-12 for Mm. in opportunities to tie or take the lead. It was just brick after brick. They could never find themselves to any sort of lead. Meanwhile, Kurt Casali pounds a walk-off base knock in the bottom of the 10th to ignite the Giants to a 6-5 win over the Athletics. Athletics, the Diamondbacks finally shake off a 24-game road losing streak by taking it to the Padres 10-1. The Red Sox smother the Yankees 4-2 as the Yanks are 0-for-5 against Boston this season. Cody Bellinger, the hero for the Dodgers, as he slugs a solo shot in the bottom of the ninth to elevate the Dodgers over the Cubs 3-2, the Mets hang on against the Phillies 4-3 and Bubba Watson and Kramer, Kramer Hickok are all square, tied up atop the leaderboard at the Travelers Championship both are at 10 under overall heading into Sunday's final round and as we mentioned Jason Hickok has been Right around the top for the last couple of days, the last couple of rounds here, but not a way to finish off a round. Usually, you want to take some good feelings from 18 into to Sunday. Well, three putting from eight feet, walking off the 54th hole mm-hmm. of on on 18 on Saturday. Probably not the way you envisioned or visualized a leader, but hopefully he can not dote on that too long. We all know that we all like to look back on those shots we've taken on the golf course. Except
3: Paul George because he has a wonderful family and he's on top of the world win or
8: lose. That's what he said after game four. That's your guy right there, Fenley. You can defend him if you'd like. The thing about Paul George and that situation, I don't like that. I would like him to take a little bit more responsibility for the shortcomings because when you're saying that, you're getting defensive, and it doesn't signal a lot of confidence in a Clipper fan to think that he is fully invested in winning. It. it, it while that is true and while you know a guy needs to have a life – As it's been discussed, a lot of money rides on what these guys do and if they at all seem in what they say in their chatter to be a little bit mentally checked out, I'm a little bit peeved at what he said, to be honest with you.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's like he's got one foot in Cancun
8: already. (laughs) That's That's what it sounds like.
3: And that sucks because, look, ultimately his family should be the most important thing and I hope his life is good but that's just not something you say out loud like not I mean after the series you just say hey man I'm, I'm going to go spend time with my family and try to get better in the offseason blah 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 but when you're in the middle of the series after that loss I can't think of worse optics um, other than saying something patently offensive, and this wasn't offensive, it was just... It, it was very
8: it, Clippers-like, Brian. And Jason, it sounds like by the, the tone of his voice and what he said in that quote, that he reads all of his press clippings or he really cares about the media's perception of him and he doesn't have a way of just sort of having that stuff float off of him. And I go back to, you know what happened in the playoffs last year where he got the, the moniker Playoff piece. I think that still haunts him to this day and he gets defensive about that and I think that it pops up in his mind and it still ruins him as far as his perceptions of himself
3: absolutely agree well said from a uh, tortured Clippers fan (laughs) I'd probably take one out of 22 if I were uh, if I were a Clippers and Padres fan maybe the Padres will get you one doesn't look like the Clippers are going to at least this year All right, so Fast 9's out. We want to talk about that to end the second hour of the show. Um, One of the dumbest movies I've ever seen, and I love it with all of my heart. We'll talk about it when we come back. I'm Jason Martin, and this is Fox Sports Radio.
4: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next
3: Welcome back wherever you are across the country. Listening to Fox Sports Radio, we appreciate it. I'm Jason Martin. This is the Jason Martin Show. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm on Twitter at Jmart Radio. You can find me there. You can find me here at 3 to 6 a.m. Eastern, midnight to 3 Pacific, every single Sunday morning here on FSR. So, the ninth installment in the main Fast and the Furious film franchise released on Friday finally after long delay multiple delays due to the virus and everything else and so I wanted to go shut my brain off on Friday this one there wasn't an advanced uh, press screening so I went after finishing up my work on Friday and doing a couple of errands and I was able to really shut my brain down and laugh and just watch some of the most ridiculous, preposterous, insane things take place on a movie screen for about two and a half hours. And that's why the series still exists. And it's why as long as they keep making these, I will continue to watch them. And I know they're making through 11 and they have a female spinoff coming and probably another Hobbs and Shaw at some point. Or who knows? They rake in a ton of money. And the people are like, oh, they're bad movies, but they're just so much fun. It's like, no, they're they're not even bad movies. They're just fun movies. By definition, was I entertained? Yes. Is it going to win Academy Awards for acting? Probably not. But do I actually care about these characters? I do. But what's funny about this is that these characters are more indestructible than the Avengers. They are more indestructible than the Justice League. Because all of them in their contracts have specific writers and specific addendums that basically say, you will not kill me off. So they can go through stuff that's just insane and survive it almost without a scratch to the point where there's a character in Fast 9 that actually openly says it repeatedly. We're not just lucky like we don't even get a scratch on us almost like they're looking at the camera like yeah we know how how dumb this is but it's so much fun not everything has to go tell some kind of deep dramatic story you can just be entertained the escape still works that's why it draws all the money sometimes you do want the popcorn blockbuster you know where to go to get the deep story. You know where to go to get scared. You know where to go to laugh. You know where to go for the rom-com. You know where to go for everything. But Fast and Furious and Mission Impossible, I think, are two franchises that about halfway through their run changed up some of what they were doing and became the phenomenon that they are. Fast Five turned the the entire franchise into Ocean's Eleven, turned it into a heist film brought in Dwayne Johnson's character, uh, brought in Jason Statham's character pretty soon thereafter, and then they were off to the races. They became a different kind of superhero film with sort of an Ocean's Eleven feel tossed into it, and it worked like gangbusters. And Mission Impossible, when they hit Ghost Protocol, switched up some of the ways that they had bored people and or kind of undercut what they could do And they turned into a rock-solid action franchise with actual impossibility included. And it worked. Bo, I know you saw this, didn't you? Or did you not see this? I know you mentioned that we were potentially going to talk about it here. Um, So I wanted to give you an opportunity if you were there. But it's just good to have fun again at the movies. And so I was planning to write on it. And I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but I just wanted to be entertained. I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to shut my brain off. We use our brains all the time, but if we can sit in a darkened movie theater for a couple of hours and truly escape, I think that's worth more than the price of admission.
7: And not so for I thank TV- them for that. And not to be part of some like larger cinematic universe yes. and worrying about all the sequels. No, we know there's gonna be fast se- sequels, but I don't need to know all the lore going on. Yeah,
3: into it. and I I actually am I love the lore and stuff like that. But in case of Fast and the Furious, we know the backstories of the characters and that's it. And we just go watch this for a couple of hours every couple of years. I will continue to do it. I hope they never stop making these. They're good for America. What's happening? Welcome in to the Fox Sports Radio Studios, I'm Jason Martin. This happens to be the Jason Martin Show, at least for another hour. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm on Twitter at Radio. The crew in LA, Bo Benson, Chris Perfett, Brian Finley, <clears throat> all of them shot better than either the Suns or the Clippers last night. The Sherman Oaks crew would have won that. Bel Air Academy would have dwarfed both those two teams last night. 84 to 80 in a rock fight. These two teams, 32.5% for the Clippers from the field, 36% for the Suns, 16.1 from three, 5 of 31 for the Clippers, 4 of 20 for 20% for the Suns. Suns did shoot 86% from the free throw line, 18-21. to Clippers, 65.6. That's about as bad an offensive game for an NBA team in the playoffs that you will ever see. 32.5, 16.1, 65.6. That's atrocious. And only 15 offensive rebounds. To 36 defensive rebounds. just bad but the Suns are up 3-1 Kawhi is probably not going to play in game 5 Paul George said if he's not 100% I don't want him to try and go which is exactly what Paul George should said unlike the other thing that he said which is I have a wonderful life even if I lose like okay great man why don't you lose before you talk about your wonderful life and even then probably don't need to do it anyway you just lose and say man losing sucks We're going to come back next year and we're going to get this thing. But when you say that, you already have one foot out the door. It's shooting yourself in the foot with a gun that you brought to the party. Like, nobody else shot you. You did it to yourself. It wasn't a great night by any means for Paul George. He did have 16 rebounds. But he was 5 of 20 from the field and 1 of 9 from distance. 23 points he was a minus five in terms of plus minus rating nobody was a plus on in the starting lineup for the clippers last night uh morris was a minus 10 zubas was a three beverly was a nine reggie jackson was a minus one so he was close and paul george was a minus five some guys off the bench had a plus minus rating that was that was better but George goes out there, plays 42 minutes, scores 23 points on 20 shots. And he says, hey, no matter what, I got a good life. Cool. Well, you're going to be getting to that good life awfully soon. Chris Paul, 6-22. Not a great night for him. Not even a big assist night. Like he, None of his stats are gaudy at all, other than 6-7 free throws, and a lot of them were late and they were clutch. Speaking of clutch... The opposite was true for the Clippers, who had 12 opportunities to tie or take the lead in the fourth quarter and missed all of them. All of them. Legit, this is one of the more difficult to watch playoff games in the NBA at this stage of the postseason that I have ever seen. Stretching the fourth quarter, they missed 16 shots combined from the field in a row. It started at 10:13 left in the game. DeAndre Ayton stopped the bleeding almost four game minutes later at 6-23 after the teams had missed 16 shots in a row. Neither team came close to 40% from the field. But it looks like Phoenix is going to be moving to the NBA Finals, which puts Chris Paul in the NBA Finals for the first time ever. And he's got a real chance to win a ring. He's got a real chance to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Something that I, I didn't necessarily think we were going to see. Because the opponent's either going to be a Milwaukee team that is clearly flawed. That's either off or on. And I still don't love the makeup of that team. In the clutch... Who am I gonna trust? Or Atlanta, who you like some of their pieces, and certainly Trey Young's a star, but it feels like it's a they're about where they need to be in terms of this is about as far as they can take them this year right now. You get some experience, we come back, we see what we do next year, maybe make a couple of different moves from a personnel standpoint. They're doing things that lead you to believe they're gonna be here for a while. Trey Young, I don't feel like this is any kind of fluke. But they've got to surround him right. They've got to make sure everything is, is set right for their future. But the Suns have this thing in front of them. And the Clippers are going to Clipper this thing. But this year, they do have a pretty big excuse in terms of Kawhi Leonard not being able to play at all. And if he does play was going to be either six or maybe even game seven at best I don't think we're getting to six I feel like five is it I know they were chanting Suns in five I think that's what it's going to be they're going to go back to Phoenix is Paul George really going to go out there after the quote that you heard like now I don't know if he's going to get dog for this quote all across and get drug everywhere but he's going to get drug here he's going to get drug on this show because that's a loser quote. I'm not saying Paul George is a loser. Far be it for me to ever say something like that. This isn't personal at all. This is just, why would you say this? Quote, it's on to the next one. As a veteran, you just learn to let things linger or let not not let things linger. I've done a good job of doing that. I still live a wonderful life and have an amazing family. I'm on top of the world regardless of the outcome. Great. That sounds like you're already planning to lose. Or in your mind, you already have lost. No Clippers fan wants to hear that right now. Nobody that's even not a Clippers fan wants to see that. They're just like, what? what's the win here? What's the reason you would say this out loud? Your family knows you love them. If your life is good, the people that should care about that already know it. You saying that is just like hey man, look, I know this sucks and I I pay attention to what other people have to say and I know I'm probably going to get killed for this or whatever, which isn't even true. You're going to have sympathy because of the situation you find yourself in. Like a lot of other teams, you have some sympathy. You have excuses. You have an out. Paul George hasn't been, quote, the guy, unquote, since he was in Indiana. He's been a piece everywhere else he's played. And he's been a big piece everywhere else he's played, but he's not been the guy. He's not the guy. So why say this? Why go this route? I'm trying to think, your favorite athletes, the ones that you have just ridden with forever, all time or current, how would you feel if they said something like this, And before I even ask that question, I'm sure you would cut me off and just say that he would never say anything like this. It's kind of hard to root for somebody that says something like this. I mean, I'm glad his priorities are right. I want him to have a wonderful life, and I sure hope he does have an amazing family. But him saying he's on top of the world? Bro, you're in the Western Conference Finals. And it's not over yet. Like, you guys have come back from 3-1 deficits in this postseason, I believe. Denver proved you can do it last year, too. So why are you saying the thing that would indicate you already have lost in your own mind? And then if you come out and have 50, then this is just going to make even less sense. Like you go out there and you just ball out on Monday. It's not like this quote's going to live in infamy forever or anything. It's just not, it's not winning. It's not what you want an athlete to sound like. And it doesn't even sound genuine. It's almost like, well, what can I say to deflect? Oh, I'm on top of the world regardless of the outcome. That right there is the last thing that I would want my guy to say. You should care a whole lot about the outcome. Kevin Durant, after Game 7, being asked, Hey, you know, you gave it your all. You left everything on the floor. Does that make this easier to take, that you know you did all that you could, even though you came up short? And he looked up and he said, Not at all. Who cares? I mean, it doesn't matter that I just had 48 points and had this ridiculous Game 7 performance. We lost, and I'm going home, and I don't give a crap about my stats. This loss sucks. I came here to win a title with friends. And Harden was banged up, even though he played every minute. And Kyrie wasn't out here. This This wasn't the team that we had planned. So I don't care. I didn't do enough. I missed the shot at the end. I had a foot on the line at the end of regulation. I don't care about the 48. I care about the one point that I needed instead of a two to make it a three to where we're having a different conversation in this post game right now. He was angry after the fact. He wasn't talking about how great his life was. I need my athlete to be that way in the professional setting. Doesn't mean that what he's doing on the on the court or on the field or on the ice or whatever is more important than what's going on at home. It's not. If it is, then everything's out of whack. I can promise you, I know I take seriously what I say on this microphone. I take very seriously the blessings that the Lord has entrusted me with to be able to do this for a living, to help hold up my end of the bargain, to help feed my family. But I can promise you my wife and daughter and my parents and her parents, all of them mean more to me than this. But I'm probably not going to have that conversation to set up the idea that I'm about to lose in a key spot. I'm probably not going to have that conversation in detail about, yeah, I know that the last two hours of radio sucked out loud, but I'm on top of the world regardless of how bad this show was. Like, no, no, no. Because the optics are horrific. That's shooting on the wrong basket. That that That's scoring for the other team. That's not helping you at all. That's not even not shooting. That's not even Ben Simmons on your end. That's own goal material. Why would you do that? Why would you say something like that? If I'm a Clippers fan, I'm a little bit perturbed. If I read that. I'm just like, well, why did we acquire this guy? If losing doesn't even really matter to him. As a veteran, you just learn not to let games linger. Now, as a veteran, you want to win, especially when you've never won a championship before. Because that's why you're playing, right? You're not just getting paid to play. I mean, I know a lot of people are playing to earn a lot of money, but they also all have a lot of pride and ego and want championships and want legacy and all of this. At least wait until the series is over and say, look, I'm going to go home to my awesome family, or as he said, his amazing family. I'm going to come back hungry and we're going to try and finish this next year. I'm sorry we didn't get it done this year. It sucks. I'm ticked off about it. Good luck to Phoenix. But to say it after game four just tells me you already believe game five's a wrap and it's not a wrap in your direction. Just an odd thing. Another odd thing that I want to talk about after the break. Some of the coaching hires that are being made and some of the things people are saying about those coaching hires has me flummoxed. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Jason Martin, and this is Fox Sports
4: Radio. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs)
3: Welcome back, Jason Martin Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Glad to have you with us, wherever you happen to be. Appreciate you making time for hot water that never runs out. Go tankless with Navian. Navian tankless water heaters provide endless hot water for spotlight comfort. You want to visit tanklessmadesimple.com right now. Again, tanklessmadesimple.com and save hundreds with local rebates. Tanklessmadesimple.com. This has me sort of flummoxed. 183 and 190, 9 and 15 career in the playoffs. That's Jason Kidd's coaching record. 183 and 190, 9 and 15 in the playoffs. He's now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, replacing Rick Carlisle, who's moved on to Indiana. Luka and Dirk reportedly both endorsed this hire. Maybe maybe I'm missing something here. I saw Rick Carlisle say that he hoped that Kidd would actually get that job because he feels like Kidd is really similar as a player to Doncic, so they're going to work great together. He's going to make Luca better. Jason Kidd's kind of a, he's been a bit of a, a thorny personality as a coach. He's been with the Lakers for the last couple of years, but his stints as head coach, it's not like there's that much there to speak of. Like he had a little bit of a run in Milwaukee, I believe, for a short time, but. This isn't like a knockout hire in terms of, it seems like, oh, well, I wanted j Kidd. That's what Lillard said, too. I wanted wanted j Kidd or Chauncey. And that got me thinking. It seems like this is happening far more in the NBA lately, is that these star players want to be coached by the guys that they idolized or guys that they watched when they were in high school or in college or when they were kids. And how often does that work and how often doesn't it work? I mean, I'm I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I love me some John Elway, but that GM thing didn't work out very well. I'm a big time Michael Jordan fan. Him as an owner. Him making personnel decisions. I don't know. Isaiah was a hell of a player. A lot of Pistons fans loved him. Didn't work out in the front office, even if it worked out pretty well when he was on TV. Talk to the Knicks about it. It's really odd. It's like, just because you play doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the world's greatest coach. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have the opportunity. But I do think it's interesting because you do have a lot of these kind of name superstar-level NBA players that always seem to mob for these coaches of these guys that used to play. Regardless of their experience, regardless of their record, yeah, let's give Chauncey a shot. Now now there's controversy with Chauncey because of an incident that I was completely unaware of. Damian Lillard was, said he was unaware of it, and I totally believe him because I didn't know anything about Chauncey's uh, issue in the past either, but that could end up costing him that job. I know sources are still they're still trying to make it happen, but this this thing has certainly slowed down. But the Jason Kidd thing is just like he's popping up everywhere, and all these players want him. It's like for what? Like why exactly? I don't really understand it. Again, if he was one ninety and seventy as a coach or something, where he was twenty and eight in the playoffs or something I could get both of those but he's under 500 in the regular season and he's six games under 500 in his playoff career in 24 games in which he's coached he's a great player but what that why do I care like yeah it would be cool to be mentored by the guy that you loved when you were a kid or something but but is that the best fit and the thing about the Dallas situation, if that was who, the, if that's who, endorsed the hire, if it indeed was Luca and Dirk, then again we get back to this same deal of how much power does the player have, and is it to a fault that some have a ton? Like you don't want to lose Luca if you're Dallas, and you know that you want him to sign this long term extension even at his young age, and you want to make him happy, and it looks like. He's got a couple of Diva tendencies, perhaps, in him. He and Carlisle bristled a bit. So, you certainly want to take his input because you don't want a Deshaun Watson Texans organization situation. You don't want to get to an Aaron Rodgers place. You kind of do want him to run the show a bit. So, if he endorsed Jason Kidd, and so did Dirk, and Dirk played with Jason Kidd, but again, I say, well, I mean, what? what so what? Can Jason Kidd coach or not? I mean, remember when he was an assistant with the Lakers, people figured, oh, that's a matter of time. LeBron wants him to be the coach. For what? Like, I mean, LeBron's been the coach of every team he's ever played for. Or at least that's usually the storyline. It's so hard for an Eric Spolstra or a Tyron Lue to get any credit whatsoever because LeBron soaks up so much of the attention in terms of his basketball acumen and his level of control. And even his level of, I can get a guy out of here and a guy in here and force the hand of management. So what exactly did he want from Jason Kidd? To coach him? He didn't want anybody to coach him. He's LeBron James. So I just, I I fail to understand the full logic behind why why, why a player feels this way, other than just hero worship. And at some point, organizations have to save guys for themselves. Is Chauncey the right hire? He might be. Is Jason Kidd going to go win a championship in Dallas? He might. But I'm trying to figure out what about him is like, oh yeah, he's definitely the coach that this franchise needs because he was a wonderful point guard and Hall of Famer. Those two things are, are, are not the same. One doesn't necessarily dictate the other. You can be a great quarterback and a terrible coach. You can be a great goal scorer and a terrible GM. Different jobs, different descriptions. I don't know how it will go, but I do think it's I, I do think it's a little bit curious. And I want to see how much more often it happens because I mean, you saw the hire made in Boston. That was a name a lot of people didn't know. In Ime Doka, the Jason kids. Jason kids almost like a retread, but he's a bass. But he's a a player that we all remember that we played in video games and that we saw at Cal, and then we saw his entire career with what he did in New Jersey, and then what he did with Dallas, and the way he played and. His vision, and I mean, Lonzo Ball was the next Jason Kidd, remember? It's always, who's the next Jason Kidd? I just don't know what that means in terms of wins on a basketball floor as a coach. Because so far in his career, it means seven games more lost than one and six more playoff games lost than one. But I don't think this trend is going anywhere. I think we're going to continue to see more NBA teams hire players and names that we know that we watched in the association because these players are also watching the same stuff we did. Now, I'm 42, so a lot of these players are younger than me now. But they're still picking guys that I was watching in high school and college and later they're the ones they idolize. They may have had their shoes at some point. I just want to see. I want to see in about fifteen or twenty years the stats on how many of these hires, like the, like the Jason Kidd hire here, where Damian Lillard trying to get you know either him, he's like I wanted him or Chauncey. So you wanted you wanted a player that you've seen and one that you respected as a player. I want to see how this strategy works. How many of the teams that make these moves win championships, get further in the playoffs than they did with the coach that they had prior? Anything. And I know a lot of coaches have played. I'm just saying that there seems to be a trend where there are clearly, there's the new generation that watched the old generation and wants that old generation guy. And I'm not saying it's for like an attaboy or anything from a hero. I think it's just I do think there's a little bit of a, there's a, there's a childlike awe that we have for larger-than-life personalities, and before Damian Lillard was a star, before anybody cared what a Damian Lillard was, or around the world knew what a Damian Lillard was, we knew what Jason Kidd was. We were aware of Chauncey Billups in 2004 and before. And so was Damian Lillard. He was watching those guys. And the way that we felt watching them and marveling at what they were doing, he did the same. And now he wants to be coached by those people. I think maybe because the whole thing is skewed by the fact that, man, that guy was a hell of a player. He's going to make us better. It's like, dude, he's not playing for you. He can't suit up for you. And certainly if he did, you wouldn't want him to play right now. I'm just curious I mean you tell me is this going to be is this what you would want from your team now if kid goes and wins the championship it's not like I'm going to eat my words because I'm saying I mean he could I just am, it, it, it befuddles me that his name was attached to all of these different coaching searches like everybody wanted Jason Kidd it's like dude he's not Phil Jackson he's not Bill Belichick he's not Nick Saban I mean, he's at best an average coach. And he's one that has he's also managed to wear out his welcome a few times. And if he's going to go down there and get in the face of Luca, then maybe that's going to be a good thing. And you definitely want to make Luca happy. But be careful what you wish for if you're one of these NBA players that wants one of your idols or one of your heroes or one of the stars that you watched in all-star games for five years as you were on the come up. Be real careful about that guy becoming your coach if you actually need a coach. If you believe coaching in the NBA matters, then did Dallas get better by moving from Rick Carlisle to Jason Kidd? Now, Carlisle may have needed to change the scenery. That team may have tuned him out. Certainly, Luca may have tuned him out. So, they need to bring in a new voice. I could understand that side of it. But do you think that they're going to be better run with Jason Kidd as a coach than they have been with Rick Carlisle for the last 13 years? There's a lot of guys and now women that are trying to get these gigs. And I do think in 20 years, in 15, 20 years, we're going to look back and we're going to see how many of these players that we were well aware of that got gigs in the NBA, how many of those things didn't work. For every Jawan Howard at Michigan, there's a Michael Jordan in the front office or John Elway in the front office or an Isaiah Thompson as a head, or a, I should say Isaiah Thomas, but they called him Isaiah Thompson at Florida International or Isaiah Thomas as a coach. I think there's many more examples of it not working than it working. Doesn't mean you don't try it. it just means if I'm a player, I would hope somebody would sit me down and just advise me a little bit and say, all right, easy on this. Like, I know you love that guy but are you sure he can coach that's a question I know this guy can coach this guy gets buckets it's Brian Finley unlike Paul George even though he has a good life
8: Finley won't tell you about it right yeah well I'll, I'll tell you what man I had a deadly 10 footer from the corner when I was playing basketball in those junior dunker years man I was unstoppable
3: wait a second 10 footer from the corner Oh yeah. how short were those
8: baselines yeah well, I like to go inside the three-point line. I had that little 12 to 15-footer to that was just money every time it released off my fingertips. But then, Jason, I went into this growth spurt when I was in high school, and then I developed a hitch in my jump shot. And then my release was so slow that I ended up getting like a lot of shots blocked, and my set shot was an embarrassment.
3: Wait, so you're you're actually telling
8: the truth? Yeah, Aren't yeah, yeah. No, taking, I'm telling a fictional story no. and then it got kind of sad. No, yeah, I am being completely honest with you. Like I I honestly need a shot doctor with my shooting form and maybe you could help me next time you get out to the West Coast because I had a it, I, it's almost like this. It's like if you have that 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 hiccup in the the golf swing that, that Charles Barkley yep, has yep. dealt with and it's it's such a mental thing, but it's so hard to break free from i i can't explain it but yeah it happens in basketball too break the chains brian what's going on (laughs) yeah what's going on in sports so last night in game four of the western conference finals tim kempton of the phoenix suns radio team took a jab at paul george calling him a not so flattering nickname that he picked up from last season
5: no timeouts here's the first free throw there we go not good playoff p So Paul George will miss the free throw.
8: Playoff P not exactly a compliment, as George went 5 of 20 from the floor, did have 23 points. But as you heard from that call, which was courtesy of the Phoenix Suns radio network, George missed critical free throws in the fourth quarter. And the Suns would go on to beat the Clippers 84 to 80, with both teams sputtering offensively in the second half. And with that win for Phoenix, they are now up 3-1 in the conference Western Conference Finals and DeAndre Ayton not to be left out here 19 points 22 rebounds and four blocks and Phoenix will look to close out the series on Monday for game five if they do that they are NBA Finals bound for the first time since 1993 in baseball, the Giants win in walk-off fashion six to five. After two runs they put up in the bottom half of the tenth, they got the victory against the Athletics. The Diamondbacks put an end to a 24-game road losing streak by ending the Padres. Eight game winning streak, 10 to 1, the final score there. The Red Sox hold on against the Yankees 4 to 2. Cody Bellinger, who has been injured but came in and was the hero for the Dodgers, slamming a solo home run in the bottom of the ninth to carry LA over the Cubs 3 to 2. Also, the Mets boogie past the phillies four to three jacob Degrom, had a no decision did endure six innings gave up two hits two earned runs and struck out five and a check in with what is taking place on the pga tour through three rounds of the travelers championship a two-way tie for the lead at 10 under overall bub watson and kramer hickok and Hickok is looking for his first win on the PJ Tour. He has been making the rounds on some of the lower tier pro tournaments. And Bubba Watson looking to add on to his already distinguished and decorated golf career. As we send it back to a man who is on the path to have a decorated and distinguished uh, golf career. <laughs> it's Jason Martin. Yeah, you just keep on
3: digging, man. <laughs> Keep on digging. I'm going to give you a rake for the bunker, which is where my ball will likely be. So, Finley, Trey Young, or Luka Doncic came out in the same draft. They had the flip deal where Atlanta had Luka, ended up moving it over to Dallas, taking Trey Young. If you could have one of the two of them, For the rest of their career, which one
8: do you want? Oh, you got to have Luca because, first of all, he's got unlimited range, and then you have the size. And I still, as dazzling and as marvelous as it is watching what Trey Young has done, there are still levels of inconsistencies with his game, especially in moments where he needs to deliver, where he hasn't quite refined that, and you get magnificent games for him. But with Luka Doncic, I think you get a little bit more of the, the constant high-level play every single game. And I think that he is one of those guys that you can build a team around for years upon years. And you could do that with Trey Young, but the three-point shot, not exactly always going down, to be honest with you. Is Aiden
3: a distant third from that draft or is it closer than maybe
8: other people would have him on your list? I've been so impressed with Aiton and I, I'm sure, Jason, you heard what he said about Chris Paul, which I think that we have to give the emergence or the the resurgence, if you will, of Aiton a lot of credit based upon that from Chris Paul joining this team because Aiton called Chris Paul the best thing to happen to him in his career. So Chris Paul elevates the play of guys around him. So I think we're starting to get Deion, or DeAndre Aiden into that level of like, okay, now he's starting to live up to the hype, but it wouldn't, I don't think, have been possible to even put that him in that conversation, Jason, number three, if it weren't for Chris Paul. But the rebounding has been stellar, the inside game. Who says you can't still have an inside game and have a little back-to-the-basket sort of work to the way you go out there on the court, which certainly seems to be a lost star, generally speaking, in the NBA.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, all that's well said. I I would look at Trey and Lucas closer than you would have ever thought it would have been right now. I think I'd still go with Luca too, but Trey Young is maybe the best thing for the league, just because you need this kind of a... It's almost a villain. Yes. But it's so much fun to watch what he's doing on the court and just the, the swag with which he plays. When you look at Aiden, Aiden has to be third on the list just because I don't think Aiden can ever be the star of the team. Yeah. But I do think he can be a very big-time piece on a championship team. And honestly, we might be about to see that this year. Uh, with Phoenix one game now away... From the NBA finals. The opponent will be either the Hawks or the Bucks. A big time game three is on the docket on a, a fairly quiet sports day, but we definitely have hit that time right before. Like we've got about three or four weeks, then training camp hits in the NFL. Then before we know it, we're looking at preseason games, and we're, I think, under 80 days away now from the Thursday night opener with the Bucks and the Cowboys. So we're getting there. And college football, of course, is going to be there. But the NBA kind of has center stage on Sunday. So we'll, when we come back, look a little bit deeper into Bucks hawks because Game 3 is certainly a pivotal game in this series to see who gets the advantage. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'm Jason Martin, and this is Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Finishing up another edition of the Jason Martin Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Sunday coming up next. Don't miss that. I'm on Twitter at jmartradio. Here in Nashville having a blast. Bucks Hawks in Atlanta, 830 Eastern Bucks, a four and a half point favorite. This is, this is a game where Trey Young could just continue to add to what he's doing. I anticipate he probably has a big night. I also just think the Bucks are a better basketball team this year. I think the Hawks have kind of peaked. They've already gone further than you would have ever thought they would. And so you just kind of, I kind of assume, I feel pretty comfortable that the Bucs are going to win this game on the road and kind of strangle control here. But how do you feel comfortable about the Bucks? Because you've seen them lay some eggs too. Like game two was dominant, but game one, you saw what what that could look like. That was a close ball game. But that was one where Trey Young really showed up. They bodied him and bullied him around in Game 2. I imagine if that that gave him a blueprint on what to do, I mean, he's not the biggest guy. Now, he's a little taller than people think, but they kind of muscled him around. You'd think they will do that again, but he will also assume they're going to do it again, so he'll be a little bit more prepared for it. I think 4.5, I don't know. I don't gamble, so... I do think it's going to be a good ball game. I think it'll be a close game. I don't think we're getting an 84-80 to 80 rock fight like we got last night with the Suns and the Clippers. Whoever wins Game 3 often wins a series when you've, got a, when you've got a tie series. I don't know that that'll be the case. I do think Milwaukee's actually going to win the series, though, and win Game 3, so I guess I'll say yes. That, that trend will continue here. But I could see Trey Young going for 35 and then still losing. He's got to have one of those kind of games I think to get this one done. But it feels like a game where Giannis can kind of have his way on the inside and Middleton probably shoots the ball well. They'll get a a couple of other contributions on the outside make enough threes and get through this. If the Hawks were to win, we're probably going to be talking a lot about Trey Young on Monday. Would be my thinking. So A couple of of things here on the way out. One, I was reading about how the New York Times has pulled out of a deal to acquire The Athletic, joining Axios and a few others that were reportedly close to trying to buy them and then backing out. The Athletic's actually in a little bit of trouble. It's not being talked about enough, but their business model, where they've gone and hired all of these great writers, but they have like... All these cities, like their own sports hub, what we're finding out and what you can see, even with the valuation and all these other things, is they're not making money. They're not profiting right now. So when you look at it from the New York Times standpoint or from an Axios standpoint, you're buying something that's going to hemorrhage money. Here's what's about to happen if this continues, if if an angel does not swoop in and take this on even with a potential loss, or even if they do swoop in, they'll probably want to change a couple of things. One of those is these citywide hubs are going to be money losers because they're paying too much money out for not enough because the subscriber base has basically flatlined. They're not getting new subscribers. I've been an athletic subscriber since day one as I have to being in this industry but like They're not grabbing new people. Everybody knows who it is. They can't hire anybody else that's bringing them on because they've already got everybody else. So what's going to happen is the big-time national names that they have are going to become the athletic. And a lot of these other little hubs are probably going to disappear. They're going to have to bank on the bigger-name guys, the Richard Deitches, the Andy Staples, the Stuart Mandels, Nicole Auerbach, like those kind of people. Sherwood Strauss, And then a lot of these other folks are are, are going to be out, because that's the only way they can profit, unless they go get an IPO, which I don't think they're going to do that. They've got to find a way to make money at some point, even with people funding money into it. Eventually, that funnel dries up. So that's going to be something to pay attention to as we move a little bit further on. All right, Fox Sports Sunday coming up next. Enjoy the game today. We'll talk again in seven days. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary.
0: We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field.